Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey there, One Stop Co-op Shop fans, this is Mike, and I'm here with a special guest, Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire and Dice Tower. How you doing, Liz? I'm doing awesome. I always like guessing on this podcast, and I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's been a while since we had you on, right? What was was the last time uh, when you and I did the Legends Untold review? Yeah, I think the last time my cat was a kitten, and you watched him rip my earbud out of my ear mid-recording. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> that, that was certainly a highlight. <laughs> so we brought Liz on today for a special episode. Uh, we're kind of continuing our trend. Gosh, I think we've done three or four episodes now that were top 10 or top 20 in some shape or fashion. So we're keeping the streak going uh, one more time. I think this is the last one. And then next week, Peter and I will probably do a uh, Cloud Spire review or something along those lines. But yeah, we uh, brought Liz on. Liz, you are the queen of solo, I would say, uh, with pretty good confidence. Now that you're doing uh, all the Dice Tower solo coverage and also, of course, your own amazing channel. So uh, yeah, we brought Liz on to talk about our top 20 solo games of 2019. If you all watch the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel, you know that I do a good mix of co-op and solo games over there. And Colin, of course, does a lot of solo play. But on the podcast, we usually only talk about co-op experiences. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of uh, get an expert on here and talk some solo games. Yes, although I do want to say, so I'm actually horrible at making top lists of anything. I managed to make top five rolling rights, and like that's the only top thing I've ever done, ever, for my site. Well, so, so, so uh, should we just call these like... 20 games you liked in 2019 <laughs> well i they're they're roughly in order but you know i could sneeze and then the order would change so it, at this snapshot in time these are the top 20 games i reviewed this year in order i felt the same way especially i mean gosh like my one through five were pretty solid but six through 20 yeah any of those could very easily move not like a ton like it's not like number 18 we go up to eight but you know, up to 16, up to 15, depending on how much I'm playing it or just my mood, I can totally see that happening. Yeah, there are a lot of games I gave the same numerical rating to, but they were just totally different types of game. And I guess it would depend, you know, if I gave an eight to something that's like a micro game and an eight to a war game, I mean, which eight is better? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely a hard comparison. I, I had that too. I did the exact same thing, like rated them and then sort of ranked within the ratings. Now, before we get into the episode proper, we'd like to thank some of our Patreon supporters. A thank you to everyone who supports the channel. And even if you don't support on Patreon, thank you if you comment on our videos, comment on our podcasts, or uh, leave reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate your support and your engagement in any way possible. And hey, if you haven't already, join our Slack. We're on there. Liz is on there with her own little channel dedicated to Beyond Solitaire coverage and discussion. It's a fun little place to go and talk about solo and co-op gaming. So our Slack uh, link in the show notes, we'd love to see you over there. But uh, I forgot to say the names. Uh, so this week, we'd like to thank William Young, who is a co-op fan, Peter O'Reilly, who is a co-op lover, and Whiplash, who is a co-op MVP. You ever see that movie Whiplash, Liz? No. Oh, man. It's not. <laughs> one of my top ones of all time. This doesn't come up much on the podcast, but I'm, a, I'm an English teacher, and I also teach a film elective class, so I'm a, a bit of a film head. And yeah, Whiplash is unbelievable. You should see it sometime, Liz, although it might uh, make you anxious and stress you out. Why would it make me anxious and stress me out? Uh, <laughs> if you don't know the general concept of it, it's, uh, about a drummer who's played by Miles Teller 
who's uh, like obsessed with getting into this really exclusive jazz band. And the director of the jazz band is J.K. Simmons in a totally unhinged, like crazy, strict, like psychologically abusive teacher role. Oh, God. And, oh, my gosh. It is just <laughs> it is a roller coaster of insanity. And I love it. I think the most anxious I've ever felt in a movie was when I went to see Gravity. Yes, uh, it is. Never it is again. a lot like Gravity, except you know, instead of giant space debris <clears throat> threatening to kill her, uh, you got like drumsticks and chairs being hurled at people's heads. Perfect, exact same movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ba- basically identical. <laughs> Basic. This is a film podcast now, and we're going to talk about how Gravity and Whiplash, pretty much the same movie. <laughs> Weirdly enough, there's a part in Whiplash where George Clooney flutes away. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. <laughs> I'm not even going to keep that in there. Never mind. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, before we get into our top 20 lists, uh, Liz, I had an awesome time with you. I've, I've talked about this a bit already on the uh, PAX Unlimited or Unplugged. PAX Unplugged? PAX Unlimited? What is that? PAX place? Unplugged. Plus, yeah, it's, it's unlimited fun, but it's unplugged. <laughs> In the PAX Unplugged uh, episode, I talked about how much fun it was to hang out with you, but I just want to reiterate, that was my favorite part of the con, without a doubt. I just got to walk around with Liz for several hours, uh, play a few games, and honestly just look at a lot of games with you. Um, and that's where we had my uh, game of the con uh, playing, at least, uh, which was Final Girl, the upcoming one from Van Ryder. Super excited for that solo game, but clearly won't be on our list for this year because we've only played a demo of it. I know, but what a demo it was. No, I really had a good time with you too, but oh man, I, I feel like our play of Final Girl was just like embarrassing how loud and excited we got. We oh yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> so it was me and Liz kind of uh, taking turns rolling the dice, but discussing all our options together. And then Evan Derrick, who works, works with AJ over at Van Ryder Games. Uh, he's one of the co-designers on Final Girl. And yeah, we were just all shouting and laughing and clapping and high-fiving and I'm sure annoying everyone within a 50-foot radius of us. That's why we play it. No, well, that's why I play alone, because otherwise everyone would have to deal with that all the time. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it, it is. And, and I will say this straight up. That experience opened my eyes to the fun of playing solo games cooperatively. I've done it a few times since then with my wife and with my son. And, uh, like, I played Black Sonata with my wife, just kind of, like, discussing how we were going to try to track down the Dark Lady together. And, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like, it, I, I never really thought of making that work. But especially for certain solo games where you kind of have the the freedom to make decisions and have cool conversations with each other, it uh, totally works great. I really like it. You know what? I actually think it's a pretty natural thing because, um, like, do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I have uh, three older brothers and one younger sister. So I used to play video games with my brother, right? But if we were both playing, like, if, if it was a one-player game, one of us would basically play and the other one would, would kind of, like, pilot and talk about what they were seeing. And, you know, when I was in college, I brought my N64 to college. I was so cool in the dorm. Uh, but I had, like, a three, like, we had three different people that were playing a game of Ocarina of Time. And we would just, like, get together after dinner and one of us would pilot and the other two would help solve the puzzles. And we had a great time. Yeah, you know, that's that that's true, because that, that reminds me of uh, with like adventure games. Sometimes I used to go and uh, like I think uh, Day of the Tentacle, I remember distinctly, which is one of the old LucasArts ones. I, uh, I played that with two of my best friends, like just us kind of all sitting around the computer. One of us, as you said, piloting, but trying to solve the puzzles together. And then uh, <laughs> this is not quite the same thing. This is more like taking turns solo, I guess. But we used to play like Grand Theft Auto 3 or uh, Vice City or one of those. 
and we would uh, <laughs> we would take turns basically just driving around and causing as much mayhem as possible and seeing how long it would take for the cops to kill us. Not nearly as cooperative as the uh, Day of the Tentacle experience, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you <laughs> on maybe video games kind of setting the uh, the path or the uh, the way forward with that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it was at least a feature of my childhood, so. Yes. All right, well, we've talked movies, we've talked video games. Let's actually get to what y'all came here for. Uh, top 20 solo games of 2019. And I will say, uh, Liz and I kind of had a few rules for this. Uh, we are doing games that are new to us in 2019. So not like according to BGG came out in 2019 or anything, but just that we had not played until 2019, at least in a serious way. We're also not doing any games that we played that were demos or Kickstarter early editions. We're only playing things that we have uh, gotten the release version of. So pretty much all of these, I think almost everyone on my list at least, will be something you can uh, go get from a store. So you know, we, we don't have any, uh, well, maybe you will, Liz, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, although I did actually break a rule slightly, apparently. Oops. So, not all the games that I played were new to me in 2019, but they were games that I reviewed in 2019. Oh, I think that, that's fine. That's fine. All right, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, a, a, a couple of mine, like, sort of bridged the gap of December 2018, or, like, I didn't play the solo mode until 2019, but I played it multiplayer 2018, so it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, I got around to reviewing a couple old favorites this year, so. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear about them. And yeah, I will say uh, Liz and I have talked a lot about how she's dug deep into kind of wargaming. And if you listen to an awesome episode with Liz, uh, Every Night is Game Night, uh, Jason and Liz. And who's the guy who puts together the top solo list? Oh, Kevin Erskine. Yeah, uh, Kevin Erskine. The three of them did this amazing uh, double episode where they went through uh, how the top solo games have changed in the, uh, the kind of surveyed list that Kevin does every year. It's excellent listening. Fully recommend it. But yeah, I got to appreciate in that list just how much uh, Liz has really got into her kind of grognard side and uh, (laughs) dug into some heavy war games, which it's funny to say, I used to love the heck out of those and play a ton of them when I couldn't get very much co-op playing. But now that I'm doing so much co-op and solo coverage, I don't really play them much anymore. So I, I need to get back to that and maybe put some on the channel at some point. You should. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. Absolutely. And my mind. And my history knowledge. <laughs> but uh, Liz, how did you feel about 2019 overall before we kind of get into the list? You know, what's interesting is I was looking over the games that I reviewed and, you know, most of the games are, I reviewed about 45 games this year and a lot of them were good. I actually, there's a reason for that, I think, though, which is that especially towards the end of this year, I wanted to make sure that my passion for board games was staying alive. So I made sure to seek out games to review that I really wanted to talk about, wanted to play. And I think that that reflects in some of my especially uplist choices for this year. That's great. Yeah, I'll say for my list, especially the top 20. Now, if you look at the entire list, because I reviewed, I don't know, I think 50 something games that had solo modes or were fully solo this year. And the top 20 are really solid. Two of these I got rid of. And for anybody who watches the YouTube channel, my Shelf Life episodes, you know that I call games, like, aggressively. <laughs> like, every time I talk about the games I reviewed, and I'll have, like, ten games, I'll have saved two of them, and the rest will be gone from my collection. But for my top 20, 18 out of 20 are still on my shelves. It, well, on my shelves where Peter owns them, we kind of pass them back and forth. But yeah, I only called two out of my top 20, which I think, for me, somebody who tries to keep their collection down to, like, 50 games or so... The fact that 18 games from this year are still... Oh, crud. 
17. I lied. 17. <laughs> but, <laughs> I need to follow the, your example, man. My grades, my, my games are like multiplying here. It's just too much. I mean, it's, it, it all depends on what your storage space is like. I have to share it with my four-year-old, my seven-year-old, my wife, and limited space in the basement. I don't have a big house. I don't have like a dedicated game room to store them in. So that's the that's the concession I make for her to let me record uh, videos at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I also really liked uh, 2019, uh, so let's get right into it. Uh, Liz, you're the guest, so we'll have you go second. You can reveal the the awesome, better games than the ones I talk about. My first one, super goofy. Uh, I definitely battled for the top 20 spot a lot, because there were a ton of games in that like pretty good level that uh, were trying to get into the actual full list. But what I ended up with is Escape the Dark Castle. Have you played this one, Liz, or heard of it? Yeah, I have. You know, I wasn't that smitten with it well, after I, the first several plays. Yes, and I, I don't disagree with you at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, like, this reminds me of Legends Untold, the last time you were on. Like, a game that is like, hey, here's some theme, here's some adventuring, roll some dice. Oh, you died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my students love it, though, so it actually has a life in my classroom. Oh, that's really great. Oh, yeah, this is one that left my collection, unfortunately, and I kind of regret it. I got, like, a crazy good deal for it, like a trade plus money, and I was like, uh, so I kind of wanted to keep it, but I, I let it go, and, and now I kind of want to play it again. I don't know. But, yeah, this one, for, for those who aren't familiar, it's uh, basically, you, you go through these, you go, you're going through a dungeon trying to escape. You're, like, prisoners in this castle, and uh, the art style is very distinctive. It makes me think of, like, the old adventure books or lone wolf books I used to play when I was a kid. And you're trying to progress through several, like, rooms of traps and monsters. And they're each, like, these really beautiful, huge cards. And you uh, flip them over and you can get items that, like, give you power-ups and special abilities. But basically, to resolve everything in the game, you're rolling dice. And you can, like, die in a single room if you just never roll well sometimes. Or you can go all the way and fight this boss. And they have, like, a variety of the bosses. And there's a ton of expansions. uh, Some really, like, cool ways to bling it up. One of my favorite little bling options is this death book. And whenever you die, you get to read a special entry based on what killed you. And it like gives like a whole narrative to how you died. It's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I will say straight up, this game is 100% luck. Uh, there's no meaningful choices almost at all. There's like a little bit of like how you like switch out who's fighting and that kind of stuff. But basically, there's nothing too deep here. But just for the experience and the beautiful components and kind of the, the throwback fun of a wild, like, sort of adventure, I really enjoyed it. So that's my number 20, Escape the Dark Castle. That art, those oversized cards. It's yeah, it, it, it's got a really unique, like, aesthetic. The The box is fun. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. All right, Liz, how about you? What's your number 20? All right, so my number 20 is my lowest gated, my lowest rated game on the list. And actually, normally this rating, I would trade it away, but this one I just can't, which goes to show you it's the one of that rating set, right, that belongs in my top 20. And that's Agricola Master of Britain. It is from Hollandspiel Games. It's like a little solitaire war game. And you are basically trying to conquer Britain and keep it under control. But there are just these constant, you know rebellion stuff popping up against you everywhere and the way that sedition is kind of mapped in the game is you're moving um you're moving chits from the enemy cup to you know you have like a friendly cup a kind of more neutral cup and then like a super unfriendly like super hostile cup and so you are you know moving these different guys around and every time you do something it causes a cup adjustment 
that represents like the political ramifications of the choices that you made. Even if you just march across the, you know, countryside to get somewhere and show off your power, somebody gets mad. And they can go from like friendly to unfriendly or unfriendly to hostile, depending on what you did. Oh, I really like that. Like sort of the dynamic political and like allegiances and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it's really an interesting game. And like battles aren't quite as exciting. You just kind of line guys up and roll a die, frankly. But, um, you know, making choices about what to do and trying to maintain your tenuous hold on territory is really interesting. So I dug it. And this is exactly why I wanted you on here, Liz, because I've never even heard of this game. <laughs> <laughs> and this, I, I imagine it'll be a lot of what the list is like. I'll be like, hey, here's my game. You'll be like, I've played that. And they'll say your game and I'll say, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you want to learn about it, there's a tutorial on my channel. So Yes, awesome. <laughs> and by the way, when you first said Agricola, I was like, oh, there's a new version of Agricola with farming? And then you were like, Roman general conquering the land. And no, oh, no, it's totally different. <laughs> yeah, Agricola is actually the name of the Roman historian Tacitus' father-in-law. And we know about him because Tacitus wrote kind of like a kiss-ass, oops, sorry, not, I guess it's not Dice Tower, haha, <laughs> um, biography of his father-in-law. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I mean, I know all about Tacitus. I mean, I yeah, he's. <laughs> if you want to read a bunch of ancient gossip, that's where you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So, what was the name of the game again, Liz? It's called Agricola, Master of Britain. All right, Liz's top twenty, uh, number twenty. Uh, my number nineteen is from a friend of the show and a friend of me and Liz. Jason from Every Night Is Game Night sent me his copy of Heroes of Tenefer which is a little uh, deck builder where you're facing off monsters, trying to reach a boss and kill them. And uh, the fun thing is the monsters you defeat give you the cards that go into your deck. So like depending on who you choose to fight, you get different things. I liked it a lot. Uh, it didn't stay in my collection. I guess it didn't stay in Jason's either. So neither of us were, you know, over the moon with it. But it is like really cool. I liked the uh, the deck building. I thought the the play was very quick. The best thing about it in my mind, and I'd love to see more games do this, is it has sort of a push-your-luck mechanism in, like, your card draws. The basic idea is you draw, I think it's three cards a turn, and you decide if you like those or if you want to try drawing again and discard those three cards. Now, every time you draw, you're running your deck out, and you don't get to reshuffle it, so you don't want to do that too often. But then you might, you know, like, really get hurt by the monster you're fighting or not conquer them in the way you want. So uh, it was really cool. Like, that's probably the best part about it. The deck building was fine. Like, the I wish there was more content. And I will say there's a expansion, I think, coming to Kickstarter this year. So, I mean, I don't know. I might actually back it because one of my main complaints was that I started seeing the same stuff over and over in the same cards. So more might be enough to kind of bring me back to the fold. But, yeah, this was a, a fun deck builder. Uh, one of the only deck builders that made my list. I'm usually a huge fan of them, but they didn't really do much this year. In fact, it might be the only one. So yeah, Heroes of Tenefer, pretty good. Not still in my collection, but definitely one I liked. Liz, uh, you ever uh, get to play that one at all? You know, I have not. I remember it being on Kickstarter, and it was just one of those ones that I kind of looked at, thought about, and then never backed, and then I never requested a review copy either. So Yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like anything you need to play. It, it is definitely good fun. I, I recommend it, but not like strong, strong recommend. Although what's funny about my number 19 is that I also got mine through Jason Press. Are you serious? Um, so I didn't get the copy from him, though. So late last year, um, my graduate school brought me back as a guest speaker to talk about teaching in public schools. And it's in Connecticut, which is where Jason lives. So Jason picked me up one morning, like on that weekend. And we went to get some really sweet omelets at Cosmic Omelet. And then we went to this library day, board game day, that's run by Jen, the board game librarian. 
and he taught rescue polar bears. <laughs> which oh, is, yes. It's yeah, sorry, I, I like rescue polar bears. Go ahead. It's a delightful game. I was just so taken with it. I mean, it's got really cute pieces. You're trying to rescue polar bears and collect data to convince Congress that global warming is real so they'll do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait a second. Is that... I played the game. I don't remember that being the the theme of the data. Is that actually what they say in the rule book? <laughs> I don't know. That's how I interpreted it. <laughs> I mean, I, I love it. Your your version would have made it even more fun for me, but that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but uh, I was so taken with the game that I asked for it for Christmas. My boyfriend gave it to me for Christmas, and I've really enjoyed having it in my collection ever since. It's actually another game that I actually prefer co-op to solo. It's more hilarious when you play with other people. But it does live in my classroom, and I do play it with kids at Game Club on a regular basis because it's adorable. It's just hard enough as a game to be a fun co-op and it's fun yeah i really enjoyed that one too i think i've only ever played it co-op so it couldn't make my solo list for the year but uh my son really enjoyed it the components are nice i love the little polar bear like mama polar bear daddy polar bear and baby polar bear uh, miniature things they have oh god they're so cute <laughs> well good I'm, I'm glad i know at least one from your list <laughs> <laughs> you'll know more <laughs> okay good 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 so my number 18, back to, uh, you know, with Escape the Dark Castle, kind of back to the retro art that might put some people off. Although this one is, <laughs> it's not just retro, it's actively upsetting to some people. And that is Dungeon Degenerates. Oh yeah, I've looked at that art and I just thought, oh hell no. Yeah, it is, it is something. <laughs> it is something. <laughs> so this is from uh, Goblin Co., which to my knowledge only creates this one, plus odd art pieces and like books and things. But it's basically an adventure game, sort of like Runebound-ish, where you're uh, going around a map. The theme is fun, though, in that you're like prisoners on the run from the law, but you're still trying to save the world, or not, depending on like the branching campaign, because there's a fun branching campaign where your choices have an influence. You could bring a plague to the world, or become the overlords of the world, or like summon horrible demons, or all kind of fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, the art can be very hit or miss for people. I I started to not see it after a time, which is how I usually am with games. I'm just like, all right, whatever, I'm just playing the mechanics. But uh, it wasn't, like, my favorite at first. But the gameplay's pretty good. It's definitely mostly a luck fest. Uh, the dice rolling is, is what it is. It's just the dice rolling. I did find the combat pretty fun. There's, like, some cool things and some fun abilities you can do, and you can, like, choose to be an aggressive or defensive stance each turn. But probably the best thing for me was that branching campaign. And also a uh, really cool thing with it is that the world kind of reacts. So it's making me think of your uh, number 20, Agricola. You, uh, if you like go to certain places and fight monsters there, you make that area less dangerous for people. And for mm. yourself, like monsters won't uh, come there as much. If you uh, like leave places to be on their own, it'll become overrun with monsters and like towns will even stop being towns and become like wastelands because the monsters have routed everybody out of there. So it's one of the cooler games for like sort of the feeling of being in a living, breathing world. And beyond the campaign, beyond like the interesting mechanics, that was probably my favorite thing about the game. The fact that they sort of uh, put this almost what I would say like is a more video game-ish mechanic, like something like Fallout where like based on your choices, some settlement survives or doesn't. It was really cool to see that in board game form. That's awesome, actually. But yeah, I have not played that one. I'm curious about it. It's uh, the thing is, it's tough to get. From my knowledge, you can only buy it straight from Goblin Co. And it is definitely pretty expensive, although I think they have sales sometimes. 
They did just have a Kickstarter for a new expansion recently, and I think whenever they do a Kickstarter, you can get the base game for cheaper, and of course, you can bundle stuff together. But yeah, it's 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 a fun one, but yeah, at the price and the difficulty to get it, I'm not saying it's a strong recommend, but if, if the theme excites you and you don't mind the art, definitely worth checking out. Nice. So my number 17 is cheap or... I'll, Free with a free with components if you're willing to do a PNP because my number seventeen is actually Mr. Cabbagehead's Garden. Oh um, man, you, you you've mentioned this before, or maybe not you. I think Razupath on our Slack. Oh yeah, yeah, Alban likes it too. Yeah. Uh, it is a really enjoyable little puzzler that I just like. So basically, Mr. Cabbagehead's Garden is this quirky little card game where you're trying to build your garden in configurations or patterns of different vegetables that will impress the beautiful Eudora Brassica and get you the <laughs> blue ribbon in the garden contest. But, you know, your annoying neighbors will come by periodically and screw up all of your plants. <laughs> Do they, like, eat your fruit or something? Yeah, or? they come and eat your stuff. They, like, destroy cards. And so you can kind of see, like, based on buildup of tokens, like, which one might be the one to come pay you a visit. And, like, there's some things that you can do to kind of predict or mitigate potential damage from your neighbors. But you're you're trying really hard to play cards in, you know, a shape that will make you have a really nice garden that scores you a lot of points. And the thing is, it's just a little puzzle game. But I love this weird vintage art that is used. So it's it's this free, like, old seed packet art with these bizarre anthropomorphic vegetable people. Like... <laughs> who you know look really creepy and it's really fun to play with um and also like even the rule book you know you wouldn't it's just it's got this flavor to it that's really hilarious to me it's like this very genteel english countryside vibe even to the rules and it just kind of creates this strange world of vegetables that grow and eat vegetables are they cannibals i don't know and (laughs) You know, they it's you you're doing a puzzle, but there's something so charming about it that I was just really taken with it. Yeah, I'm looking at this art online. Wow, it is very distinctive. Eudora Brassica is not what I expected. Uh is that a giant like turnip or beet on her head or something? I think so, yeah. But apparently this is like the way that people sold seeds for people who had gardens during the oh, time period. Wow. Yeah, this this is cool. I mean, I hearing it from you and from Raz, I definitely want to try it out. Uh yeah, really cool, man. So that's, uh, what, what's the full name again? It's just called Mr. Cabbagehead's Garden. So are you Mr. Cabbagehead? Yeah, you're Mr. Cabbagehead. <laughs> and, and again, you're growing vegetables to eat them, so you are cannibalistic vegetable people? Yes, that's Love exactly it. what's going on. That is, that is exactly my dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of a small card game, my number 17 is a micro game. I think one that you covered too, so maybe it'll show up later for you. And that is Sprawlopolis. Oh, that's such a good one. Yes. Uh, so this is, uh, if you haven't heard of it, I think it's 18 cards, maybe, or something yeah, along 18. those lines. Yeah, and uh, the basic idea is you are building a city, and the coolest part about the game, love it, want to see it in other places, uh, all the cards have a backside that has a like scoring condition, like basically something you should do to score points or not score points. And uh, the cool thing about the game is you flip over, I think it's, gosh, I haven't played this in a while, is it three of them at the start of the game? Yeah, you have three cards at a time, and you're playing one and then drawing one. Yes. So you have three cards that uh, show what your scoring conditions are. You play one and draw one. And the cards are just like little collections of four squares in different colors, industrial, commercial, and residential. 
or and then parks too, right? Or are there no residential? Yeah, yeah. There's just parks. parks. Okay. It's like uh, yeah, so, commercial, yeah, residential and construction, industrial. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then there's roads. So it's it's incredibly quick, but the variety in what you need to do is the thing that sells this game for me. Because the gameplay is as simple as can be, but the fact that the way you play and the way you score points changes in a drastic way from game to game really makes this awesome. So this is from Button Shy. It's super inexpensive. Uh, this one, even though it's not super high on my list, this is the first one that's still on my shelves. So again, from 17 on, it's still in my collection or Peter's collection. But yeah, Sprawlopolis, I fully recommend you. Uh, I mean, at the very least, you can pay a little bit for the print and play and just print out your own uh, version. Again, you know, 18 cards, two card sheets, and you're done. So uh, it, it's a really good one. I, I definitely like Sprawlopolis a lot. Yeah, I will say it's much higher on my list. I think it's brilliant. So I'll wax poetic about it a little later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, I I tend to go for big thematic games and campaign games. Anyone who watches the channel knows that pretty well. So a micro game, the fact that it made it to 17 definitely speaks to this game's quality because usually that kind of game would not be anywhere on my list. Fair enough. Yeah, so number 17 uh, is Lisboa. Big old chunky Euro right in there. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, this is funny. Uh, Jerry, who plays games with Peter and I a lot, just texted us the other day and he's like, hey, I think I found somebody selling a copy of Lisboa. And I was like, what's Lisboa? <laughs> and, and Peter was like, we're not going to play that, dude. So we told him not to get it. So t- tell me why I should regret that decision. Well, okay. So if you don't want to play a big, chunky Euro, then Lisboa probably is not for you. And that was a fair choice. But I like big, chunky Euros. And I love Lisboa. And the reason I like it is because it's it's a Vital Lacerda game where there is so much going on. It's, you know, a little bit intense the first time you play. I mean, it's an intense game. But when you're first learning, you're like, oh, my God, how many things can you fit in one game? A lot, uh, but it is, <laughs> but it's really cool thematically too because it's set right after the uh, great earthquake that really rocked Lisbon in the 1700s. It was like the first big national disaster that triggered like international aid efforts, and you know it was a big deal at the time. It's not really taught very much now, and learning about it was really cool. I actually ended up like buying a book about it and doing a board and book history video with Jason about it because I was just so interested in the history behind it and the interesting characters that sort of emerge who you know had a hand in rebuilding Lisbon but also the game is one of those really cool games where everything you do it's so tightly woven that you know you tug on something on one end of the board and affects something on the other and learning how to work all the mechanics of that game is really pleasing. I will say that setting up for solo my big complaint about it was that it's just so chunky there's so much going on there's so many pieces that you know, it's a bear to set up, but it's really enjoyable. It's got a really cool historical theme, and I would definitely play another Lucert after that. That's great. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say, especially on a you know top 20 solo list, that I have not played a single Lucerta game. I was just looking through the list, and I was like, I must have done one of these, and nope. And I, I'll, I'll freely admit that Euros are a hard sell for me unless the theme is really strong. And heavy euros are almost impossible for me to get to the table. It just does not happen very often. But this one sounds uh, cool. So thanks for uh, putting it on your list. Number 17, Lisboa. Yes. If only it were named for me and not Lisbon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My number 16 is a lot like Lisboa. Another huge heavy euro. Not at all. That is uh, Arion, <laughs> which is uh, the newest Oniverse game. Uh, Arianich is a dice rolling game where you're trying to build these little uh, quirky airships. 
by uh, basically uh, drafting cards with different dice combinations and kind of pushing your luck to roll the dice and using resources to re-roll them to try to get the best cards. Uh, this is a really fun one, two-player. Probably my favorite Oniverse game for two-player co-op because uh, most of the or most or all of them offer two-player options. But uh, this one is really fun solo. I, I like the the push your luck dice stuff. I like uh, how you have to make these really tough choices of discarding cards that could be the cards you need to win in order to re-roll your dice. So your luck mitigation is like almost pushing yourself closer to losing the game. I love, love that mechanic. And yeah, it's really quick, really fun. I personally love the art style in the Oniverse games. I know for some people it's like kind of too quirky or too abstract. But for me, I dig most of them. Uh, probably this one is my top right now. With uh, Nautilian and Onirum uh, coming up behind. And Sylveon, I haven't played enough to see if I like it more. But yeah, Arion, definitely a good one for me. And uh, a nice one to check out if you don't mind uh, playing a quick little dice game. Oh, that's nice. Mine is, I actually do have a copy of Arion that is sitting on my shelf of opportunity right now. So I should your shelf of opportunity? <laughs> not your shelf of shame for not having played it yet, but your shelf of opportunity? I have no shame. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's a good one. Uh, if, if have you enjoyed other Oniverse games in the past? Yeah, um, I I like Onirim. I actually really like Sylveon quite a bit. Um, I like Urbion, which is hard to get right now. They need to reprint that. And yeah, I um, have not. That might be that's one. I think one of the two that I've never played. I thought Castellian was fine, and but that's I the really other one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think you'll like uh, Arion. I would definitely give it a try. I am planning on it. All right, Liz, what's your number 16? So my number 16 is Dawn of Peacemakers. Hey, wait. Oh, that's why. <laughs> I was like, wait, I really like that. Where is it? But I, I played that in uh, like late 2018, so it didn't uh, make and the cut. I played it early 2019. Yeah, uh, well, I, I love it, but tell us about it. So Dawn of Peacemakers is such an interesting game because your goal is not to have one side or the other win. There's these two different animal you know species that are fighting a battle against each other there's a like a protracted war but you're trying to get both sides to stand down and so you have to travel between the sides and manipulate their movements and their battle plans to reduce everyone's morale at roughly the same rate so that they will mutually back off it requires a lot of manipulation and remembering what's in the deck and you know figuring out the right things to do at the right time and because it's it's a green legacy game the you know mechanical aspects of the game gain complexity and change a little bit as you go so there's also that element of growth and a progressing storyline as you play and i really thought it was such an interesting concept for a game you know i got to interview sami laxo about it and we talked a lot about pacifism and whether his game is truly pacifistic because you do choose you know units that are going to die you know it, it just really presented different problems and different things to be interested in for a game that's about a war. And I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. And I definitely felt that sort of uh, difficulty while I was playing. I was like, oh, but I'm cheering for this guy to get murdered over here. <laughs> so that so the but battle the plan will fall good. apart. <laughs> it, it's definitely, definitely for the greater good. Definitely some uh, utilitarianism going on there. For sure. Um, although <laughs> the fact that he threw in a competitive like variant mode where you can play the armies and kill each other, that that is a little bit odd <laughs> with the the other main <laughs> version of play there. But yeah, I, I love that one too. That probably would have been in my top ten if the year had been right. Uh, so I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. All right, so Donna Peacemakers, Liz's number sixteen. Getting into my number 15, cute animals, but a lot less murder. My number 15 solo game, uh, new to me, is Everdell. 
Ooh, tell me about it. I backed it finally, so soon I will play. Oh, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, so this one, I had never played it. Um, I thought it looked beautiful, but I didn't really know how the gameplay was. And actually, uh, you know, another Jason from Every Night is Game Nate shout out. He should be on this episode. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he said, like, basically him and Colin on the Slack channel got into a war about whether it was a good or bad game. Colin didn't like it. Jason did. And I ended up uh, being convinced enough by Jason's arguments that I got it. So honestly, I've really enjoyed playing this competitively with my wife. Uh, She is totally won over by the art and the beautiful components. The art is incredibly charming. I love the aesthetic of this game overall. But the solo is really fun too. It's a pretty simple uh, tableau builder, kind of mixed with a little bit of worker placement. And, you know, I I think tableau builders like Terraforming Mars and that kind of thing have better combo opportunity and are probably better tableau builders. But the addition of the worker placement, the the AI is so quick and so simple to resolve, and it's still fun, and the components are charming, and the challenge of like getting your combos off, and the, the tension of drawing the card you need or not, I really, really uh, enjoyed this one. So it's not super high on my list, because again, I kind of like the multiplayer game better, but the solo is a lot of fun. So that's uh, Everdell for my number 15. I'm really looking forward to trying that. Uh, so my 15 is McKee, a very small solo worker placement game. It oh, was, that's uh, that's Side Room, right? Yeah, it was originally print and play, and it's been an app. But now it exists as a very, very nice production copy, and it is delightful. It's quick. It's got the right level of challenge. It is a really nice small box game for a solo player. Yeah, I, I just played my first Side Room game with uh, Black Sonata. And that one's a lot of fun. I think by the time this episode airs, my video... I think the Kickstarter for the Black Snout expansion will be live, and my videos should be up on the channel. But yeah, from what I've seen, I, I like the uh, stuff they're doing. And I think Steve covered McKee for us for on YouTube, so it looked pretty cool. Yeah, so just for those of you who have not heard of it, McKee is a solo worker placement game where you are controlling the French resistance and you are trying to complete missions without losing all of your workers to the police or and also without running out of time. And it's a lot harder than it sounds. I think I played the app and I died every time, like the first turn, I felt like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm not too bad at it, but sometimes you just get really unlucky. Like if y'all want to... S- uh, just, I'll just give you a spoiler alert. I did do a Kickstarter preview for the original McKee campaign and I'm doing so well. And then I just don't luck out right at the end to get creamed. <laughs> it happens. That's awesome. All right. So that's McKee from Side Room Games for Liz's number 15. My number 14. I, I'm not sure if this one will be on your list or not. Cause I don't know what year you played it, but I think you're one of the ones who recommended this to me, Liz detective city of angels. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> well, okay, that sounds like it's on your list, but maybe not uh, as low as I had it, which I, I don't think is low. This is a great game. Uh, this is at my number 14. This is from uh, Van Ryder, so the same ones we already mentioned with Final Girl for uh, this coming... Well, that's right, we're in 2020 now, aren't we? So this we year... Are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Detective City of Angels, it's a uh, you know film noir-ish uh, detective game where you're trying to solve uh, mysteries. They already had a expansion with extra cases, but you do a case, and uh, the main way to play is with multiplayer. Sort of one versus many, but not really, because you're all fighting for yourself to solve the case. But the, the one is the chisel, and they you, you interview suspects in something that was definitely inspired by the game L.A. Noir, which is a video game I really enjoyed. 
So you uh, you ask them questions, but then you have to judge whether they're telling you the truth or not. You can press them, and you uh, suffer if you get it wrong, but you get uh, leverage on them if you get it right. So you're trying to figure out like what the story is. Now, the only reason it's a little bit lower, that it's at number 14, is that, for me, I felt the cases were a little bit easy. But I've heard from other people that maybe I just got lucky <laughs> in my uh, assumptions and guesses, because others have not found them to be so. How far did you play? I'm about halfway through the core game, and then I did a couple of the expansion cases too. So I have not gotten to the toughest cases yet. So maybe that's why. Maybe I just... Yeah, some of those tough cases are very exciting. I don't want to give anything away. Oh, no, no, please don't. I'm super excited to play the rest of it. I mean, it's definitely still on my shelf. And I pledge the uh, expansion that I guess is coming out maybe this year. But uh, no, this one is really cool. Yeah, maybe I just need to play the tougher ones to really uh, have it climb up my list even higher. I will say that I prefer... The competitive play for this one as well, kind of like Everdell, so they're both sort of sitting in that area of my list. But per Liz's suggestion, what I do is I play the case solo or cooperative just to enjoy it and figure it out for myself. And then I act as the chisel for my friends and other gaming groups so I can like kind of have the fun of foiling them now that I know what the mystery is. So that is an awesome way to play. I fully recommend it. But even for just pure solo play, I think this is a pretty great one. So Detective City of Angels from Van Ryder Games. It's a great choice. All right, so for my number 14, it was actually one of my surprise hits of the year. Uh, I just bought it for cheap on Amazon because I was looking to just get a cheap game and, you know, I'd heard okay things about it. And it's After the Virus. It's from Jacob Frixelius and is a small box. I think it was like $14 on Amazon. Uh, Zombie-themed deck builder. It is for only up to three players at a time, but you can easily solo it. And what's really interesting about it is that Everything that you need basically is in your deck. So the zombies that you have to get rid of are in there and they can clog it up. But also, you know, you have to thin out your deck in order to put weapons out and in order to prepare weapons and in order to get rid of the zombies that could come up in your hand. So it's this really difficult and dangerous balancing act between, you know, trying not to thin your deck out too much, acquiring more cards for your deck, which is actually quite expensive, and then dealing with the increasing numbers of zombies who creep in there. That sounds fascinating. It's and really it's, cool. It's, it's only, what, $17 on Amazon? It might have been. How, how much is it right now? I think I bought it for like 14 bucks. Something ridiculous. Uh, looks like 17 or 18 Yeah. Jeez, oh, man. I mean, I might, just, I just might just order this the second we get off the podcast. <laughs> but I really like it. It was way more exciting than I thought it was going to be because the art is kind of horrible. Like, I thought the art looks like these, like, kind of cheap bobbleheads. Yeah, I see that. I, I, did, I was not impressed with the art style, to be real, but then I played it and I was just so into it. Like, now that I'm talking about it, it's like, oh, I should play it again soon. I really liked it. Very challenging. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. Like, I'm looking at the uh, <laughs> the images on Board Game Geek, and like, all the top images are everyone changing the art and retheming the game. <laughs> so it looks like the sticking point is the art, but everything else people seem to like. That's really cool. Uh, I'm going to leave this page up and just remind myself to order it later. So thank you, Liz. You are welcome. You'll enjoy it. All right, so that's After the Virus, uh, Liz's number 14. My number 13, I know this has been a polarizing game, and I think for some people it'll be a total miss, but man, did I enjoy it. That is Arkham Horror Final Hour. So this is kind of the most un-Arkham Horror game in the Arkham Horror uh, like mythos that Fantasy Flight has been putting out. So if you're like here for Arkham Horror, I wouldn't necessarily say this game is going to be great for you. But basically, it's uh, like, the, as it says, the final hour. The cultists are about to summon the old one, and you have to go and uh, mess up their ritual at the last moment before they succeed. 
So the uh, solo game is quite different from the co-op game, and you can watch how it works in uh, the playthrough I did. But the basic idea is you're sort of, not quite pushing your luck, but you're drawing action cards for the two characters you're controlling, and uh, you have to put them on basically like the the kind of like bad side that also has some effects, or the good side. So sometimes you'll put a card on the bad side hoping you get something better later, uh, but you might make the wrong choice. And you're like running around the board, dealing with monsters, trying to not let them pile up too much. Uh, each of the characters has unique abilities that you can try to leverage to your advantage, and even like some weaknesses that can hurt you. And uh, the main thing you're trying to do is track down these clues so you can figure out which clues are actually uh, the ones that have been set on the old one at the beginning and sort of a clue-ish mechanism where, like, you pick the cards, you pick the tokens. And uh, at the end of the game, you just hope, when you flip those tokens, that you have uh, saved the right cards to thwart the ritual. And some people hate that kind of thing where, like, it's kind of a sometimes a coin toss whether you'll win or lose at the end. But that is one of my absolute favorite things. Uh, we put it in our game Salvation Road, uh, our first published design. I love setting up things to the best of your ability and then still having that die roll at the end to actually see whether you win or lose and just the tension and kind of seat of your pants suspense of that moment. So, yeah, Arkham Horror Final Hour surprised the heck out of me because the buzz from Gen Con was kind of muted. But for me, uh, solo and co-op, definitely a big hit. I have not played that one, and now I'm curious about it. That sounds cool. I have no idea if you'll like it. Uh, Colin liked it. Uh, I don't think as much as me, but Colin liked it a good bit. I liked it a lot. Uh, Peter thought it was just okay, and some people seem to hate it online. So <laughs> I think it's really going to be like a what you like, what you prefer in games. It'll determine whether it uh, kind of works for you or not. Yeah, either way, it's a review. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. All right, so my number 13 was Fleet the Dice Game, which I really enjoyed. Uh, this was I, I played a lot of Rolling Rights this year, and Fleet Dice was among my favorites. I really, really like it. It is... It's, you know, it's a roll and write, but it's got these two phases. One is the boat phase where you're actually catching different kinds of sea creatures and collecting fish. And the other, well, no, you, you actually fish every few rounds, but you are um, collecting licenses and boats and stuff for specific types of creature. And then the other phase is like the town phase where you can invest in buildings or try to get more boats of a different variety or, you know, just do a couple of different actions and invest in some stuff for the long term in the game. And what's so fun about it is that it kind of gives you this feedback loop where like the better engine you build, there are different special actions that you can take. And what you want are these bonus star actions where you can fill in any space on, you know, anywhere on your, um, on your roll and write sheet. So, you know, you can start getting all these free actions and like free fill-ins that are really satisfying. And if you can chain a couple of them together, it's like, yes, I can get this and this, and I can get this boat and I can do that building. Yeah. And it becomes this really thrilling thing. And the solo is actually really fun and brutal because you're playing against this like AI character called Captain Ruth, who doesn't score points for herself, but she takes away options from you. So huh. as you draft the dice, you have to be watch what she will take and her priorities change per turn, but you can tell what she's going to prioritize. So you know what dice she'll take if, you know, if you're the one who goes first that turn and you have to make choices, not just based on what you want, but based on, you know, things you're trying to preserve for the future too. And it's really fun. Very cool. I only played three rolling rights this year and only uh, two that had solo. And those are basically the only rolling rights I've ever played. It's not a genre that I've gotten into much. They were fine. They didn't make my list, but that sounds better than either of them. Although I think 
There's one you covered on your channel that really interested me that was like, well, you know, I won't say it just in case it shows up later on your list. <laughs> or if it doesn't, then I hurt somebody's feelings. This so, is my big uh, yes. year of rolling rights, so it might be. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Well, I'll wait for it and jump in if it uh, shows up. But yes, uh, rolling rights didn't hit for me this year, but glad you found some good ones. So that was uh, Fleet the Dice Game at number 12. Oh, no, uh, 13. number 13. Yep. My number 12. Uh, this kind of surprised me that I still had such... Oh, you know what? This is not in my collection anymore. This is the weird one. I don't know why it's number 12 and not in my collection. Well, I mean, I do. But <laughs> Ooh, do this tell. is uh, Discover Lands Unknown. So I guess we got two Fantasy oh, Flight games in a row. I have not so this game, I have that. Tell me. Yeah, I mean, I, this game has so many issues. I have so many complaints about it. Uh, it was stupidly expensive when it came out for the amount of content you got. It was like 50 bucks and was not worth that at all. I will say now you can find it for like 20 bucks and it's so worth it for that money. I would totally get it at that price. Um, and they did the whole like unique thing they did with Keyforge, but where it worked kind of cool in Keyforge here, it just felt like they had like cut some of the content you wanted to see out of it and Mm -hmm. you would just get like this minimal amount of stuff and it really wasn't enough. Um, so all of that really frustrated me, but, but The actual core mechanics of, like, how you move around, how you fight, how simple and streamlined it is, especially compared to something like Robinson Crusoe or Seventh Continent, uh, and the fun of, like, trying to survive, because that's always fun for me, like, the the survival dynamic, trying to find my food, trying to find weapons or build them to fight people off. All that stuff was really cool. They had this fun, kind of unique way of doing the campaign, where you would sort of solve puzzles. And yes, it did cut down on the replayability, which again, with the price tag, was a tough thing to swallow. But beyond that, they had some nice kind of narrative beats in there. Uh, The campaign would kind of go together. You had a competitive mode that was fully replayable, but, you know, who cares about that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And even, I will say, even when I had, like, gone through the whole campaign and seen all the story beats... There's all these landmarks all over the board, and a lot of them, like, interact with each other. So, like, oh, if you go to the gas station, you find a key, but what the heck is the key for? But maybe on a future playthrough, you get the key, and then you go to uh, the nuclear power plant, and the key opens something, you get this awesome weapon you never found before. So there was a lot of of exploration. It it basically had 10 awesome plays for me, and then I was totally done for it. And when it was a $50 game, like, what the heck are you doing to me, Fantasy Flight? But, uh, you know, now, again, if you can get it for, like, 20 bucks, oh, my gosh, give this game a try. I think it is way better than the reputation it got. I think Fantasy Flight shot themselves in the foot with so many things, and I'm really sad about that because I think the core mechanics here are excellent. So that's uh, Discover Lands Unknown, my number 12. I might have to try that now. I mean, yeah, again, like, shoot, I think I've seen it for, like, 15 bucks someplace. It's stupidly discounted now. Like, it's such a good deal. I I might even, (laughs) you know, I sent mine away because I'd already played all the stuff there was to see in it. I literally found every single secret. But I might uh, pony up $15, and maybe the unique uh, design concept will finally pay off because I can buy it so discounted that I can actually see new stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right, so my number 12 is Cloudspire. Oh, hey. All right, I, I might talk about that later. <laughs> you should. Uh, so I really like Cloudspire, but I wasn't sure that I liked it at first because it's one of those games that's kind of finicky. I found it difficult to learn because of all the different abilities. And I still make mistakes when I play it. And oh my gosh, 150%. <laughs> and at first I was like, eh, and then I just got hooked. There's something about that game that is just addictive and that I really love. So um, for those of you who have not seen it, Cloud Spires from Chip 3 Games, which means it's got all this fantastic production quality, excellent neoprene mats, beautiful chips that make nice clink clink sounds and you stack them up, you know, (laughs) 
But um, maybe most importantly, you know, it'll have really imaginative gameplay because that's what Chip Theory does. So Cloudspire is like the tabletop version of a MOBA where you are releasing these minions who move in automated ways and you're firing them at an enemy gate. And you and your enemies will build spire towers that fire at approaching enemies. So you have to put, you know, some effort into your defense and then you also have heroes who have their own special ways of moving and doing stuff. And, you know, basically you're just having an onslaught at each other and it's intense and there's different abilities that you can, you know, learn how to use, different combos you can try, different upgrades you can do to your fortress. And it gets really complicated, but also really addictive and fun and just different. I haven't played anything that feels quite like this one. Yeah, I... I will uh, talk about that a little bit later, but I'm in pretty much full agreement. So that's uh, Cloudspire. Liz is number 12. My number 11, and there's a few on here. Uh, Cloudspire is one of them. Cthulhu Death May Die, which is my number 11. That I, you know, I worry a little bit about recency bias because these are games I covered like in December. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still think Cthulhu Death May Die is a really, really cool design in a lot of ways. This is from Cool Mini or Not. And this is the one with the giant Cthulhu statue, although I did not get that. I just got the, the core game. What? But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I need to, you know, feed my kids. So <laughs> Cthulhu Death May Die is uh, kind of like Arkham Horror Final Hour, a little bit of a, uh, you know, spin on the typical Lovecraft thing. Here you want to bring the old one into the world, but in a way that they are vulnerable, and then you want to murder them <laughs> instead of preventing their uh, their summoning or, you know, running away from them. So... Uh, it's got a lot of neat stuff. It's got a sort of modular deck system kind of thing going on. Not to the same extent as like the Saddler Brother designs, but uh, you can mix a Elder One, like the big enemies you're going to fight, uh, with a episode, and they have expansions for both already. And uh, it gives you a lot of kind of replay and options, and it's just fun to kind of explore the things. The episodes especially are really diverse. The uh, heroes you can control are pretty diverse. They each have some unique powers, and then like mixes of other powers. Uh, so, yeah, it's got a lot of good stuff going on. It can be pretty random. It can be uh, frustrating sometimes. But it's a really, really clean design. It's super fast to set up, super fast to learn. Uh, the expandability makes it really pretty exciting. So I was impressed with it. It might have been higher if I had played it earlier in the year. But uh, the highest I could put it was number 11, Cthulhu Death May Die. You know what? I've played that one once. I'm going to need to revisit that, I think. Um, my number 11 is actually Black Sonata from Sideroom Games. I, hey! I covered it last year, and then I backed it, and then when I got my copy, I pulled it out, played it again to see if that, you know, the flame was still there. And it was! So I reviewed it. Uh, I really like Black Sonata. You know, it's a solo hidden movement game, which is just exciting in itself. I really like trying to figure out where the Dark Lady is, and I'm actually excited about the expansions coming up, so. Yeah, th this one, I almost put this on my list. But, like, literally, I played it the week before the end of the year. <laughs> so I just thought, I can't put this on my list yet. But that being said, I think it's great. And, yeah, my videos are already up. So I totally agree with you there. All right, so we've made it through the first half of our list. Here's where it really gets exciting. So my number 10 is one that I would love to play co-op. And I played one of the sets co-op, and I played the other one solo. And man, I adored it solo because it was such a throwback for me to those old adventure games like King's Quest, Leisure Suit Larry. Well, that one wasn't one I played when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> Monkey Island. Uh, and that is the new adventure game series from Cosmos. 
So Cosmos also makes the exit games. But for me, uh, I, I like a more immersive thematic kind of puzzle riddle game than uh, just like straight up here are riddles to solve and puzzles and like that's all that's there. So the Adventure Game series is, for me, better than Exit, at least in the two releases they've done so far. They have one that's dungeon-themed and one that's sort of like Resident Evil, futuristic, evil scientist-themed. But uh, both of them are great. It's a lot of fun solo, especially now they have an app that'll like read stuff to you. So if you want to, you can kind of have a more immersive experience that way. But uh, yeah, these are really fun, like little puzzly solving, find the item to combine with the other item. They have really, really cool, like thematic touches. Like if your character's in a certain space and another character does something, then like you'll get hurt or a fire will start or whatever. And, you know, if you go somewhere, you might be able to sneak better or worse, depending on who's with you. So I played with two characters, but I played solo and it was a blast. It was also a blast to play co-op. I played one set one way and one set the other. But yeah, I thought this was a great solo experience, and this has just definitely been added along with Unlock and Exit to the sort of rotation where I will buy or get someone in our group to buy every single release they have. So that's the Adventure Games from Cosmos. Oh man, I've got to try those now. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're into like any of those old puzzle games, it, it gives me that same vibe more than any of those other releases. Like, it is awesome. Oh, next payday, next payday. All right. <laughs> so yeah, they're, my... they're pretty cheap. I think it's, I mean, it sort of surprised me. They're like 15 or 20 and they, they actually have, uh, compared to Exit or Unlock, which usually you finish in like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. These ones are three act structures. So even like solo, I went through it pretty quickly. It was definitely longer when I played at co-op, but uh, it was still uh, an hour and a half or two hours. So it's a, a little bit meatier gameplay for basically the same price as like the Exit games. All right. All right, so my number 10, we've actually, it's already been on your list, was Sprawlopolis. It is Ooh. that 18-card, button-shy micro game. It lives in my backpack, and I pull it out all the time. I love Sprawlopolis. It is such a brain burner, and it has extremely simple gameplay at the same time, which is catnip for me in a game. I absolutely love it. My only complaint is that there are a couple of scoring conditions in Sprawlopolis that I believe are fundamentally incompatible. Oh my gosh, no that I will not doubt play about together. it. So other than that... It's like, hey, don't have any parks, and you need parks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly like that. Um, So, you know, occasionally you'll have to swap out the scoring conditions you get, because it's like, "Mm, that's not going to happen. But other than that, it's just such a brilliant little game. I get so excited about how clever it is and how much work it makes me do in such a tiny little package. So, Sprawlopolis, number 10. Well, hey, I'm also going to hit up one that you already mentioned. My number nine is Cloudspire. Excellent. And I'll be 100% honest, I've only been playing this for about a uh, month or so, ever since uh, PAX Unplugged. But if I have the chance to play it more, I bet this could be up in like the number 6, number 5, number 4 spot. I didn't want to put it that high because it is so recent and I just feel a little uncomfortable with that because who knows how I'll feel in a little bit more time. But yeah, I am loving this one. Just echo everything you said. It is so addictive. Uh, Trying out the different uh, races and like their different abilities and their different upgrades. Like, man, all the upgrades and the crazy like little tricks you can pull off. The scenarios are so varied. I 100% agree with you. It is a tough buy-in. Like, I thought I was playing right. And then uh, Peter borrowed it and played it. And he was like, dude, you have like 85 rules wrong. And I said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> as long like, as you're you having know, fun, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, I didn't regret it. I was just like, oh, okay, I'll play better and more correctly next time I play it. But, yeah, uh, Cloudspire, it's – it might be my favorite Chip Theory games uh, release because I wasn't a huge fan of Too Many Bones. That one didn't uh, sing too well for me. But I did like Hoplomachus a lot. So it'd be a tough toss-up 
But I feel like Cloudspire has more variety and like just having those factions mm. maybe makes it win for me. I so, don't know. For me, it's Hoplo Forever. Hoplo's a five-star game for me. Absolutely love it. Okay. okay. And, but for me, what it is, and this is what Cloudspire lacks, is that for Hoplo, you can choose a boss, choose a faction, and go. And you can just play solo. And that is not Oh, you, you know what? I think I think I've identified the problem then. I have only played uh what's the small box release that Origins. only had like the solo scenarios? No, you must get sorry, it's gonna be expensive. You must get Lost Cities and Rise of Rome. If you wanna have the best <sighs> okay. possible experience, you need the two big boxes. In okay. my opinion. Ah, crap. All right. In my expert <laughs> opinion. <laughs> I've actually reviewed all three Hoplo games. I'm a serious Hoplo player. I love it. Well, yeah, I loved it too, but yeah, my, my only complaint was that it felt limited because I had to play against these specific enemies and these specific scenarios, and they got very challenging very quickly to the point where it wasn't as much fun for me. So yeah, like if it was more like pick up and like build an army and go, I think I would love it. Uh, so yes, okay, then, then I'll agree with you that Hoplo is better than Cloudspire. I just have, uh, <laughs> I'm just a sheltered little boy and haven't experienced it fully. No, they're both great. <laughs> all right so my number nine is actually also one you've already mentioned it is detective city of angels which yes I adore awesome. i adore this game i love it i like playing it solo i like that you the the game book does a good job of still creating that tension if are they lying uh, and you still do have to see if you're gonna push which i enjoy uh and i love chiseling for other people I love watching other people figure out the mystery and I love sort of deliberately throwing little red herrings their way and making it more difficult. Uh, one thing I will say is that when I'm the chisel, uh, I'm not necessarily trying to make them not win, even though I should be. I feel like I'm more of a slightly evil dungeon master. Yeah, no, I'm the exact same way. And this might've been a suggestion from you. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll, <laughs> I'll literally like, yeah, think like a dungeon master and I'll be like, how smart is this character? Would they tell this lie or would they not? You know what I mean? And that's like what I kind of use as my uh, my guiding uh, thing. So if the players, you know, figure it out easily or more, you know, have a harder time with it based on that, I don't really care. It's just fun. Oh, yeah. I get a lot of pleasure out of helping other people through the mystery, basically. So yes. it's worth it to me. All right. So Detective City of Angels, a big one for both of us. Uh, number eight might be on your list. I, I forget how much you liked this, but I'm pretty sure it'll be on your list. Probably higher than me. That is Pax Pamir, second edition. Oh, baby. Yeah. Yeah, so, so this, along with Detective, I think were the two big uh, recommends from you that I then uh, immediately jumped on trying to cover. And this one is good. <laughs> it is really good. So this is a uh, coal world design, and uh, anyone who knows me knows that I love me some Root, so I'm all in for Cole and his stuff. Uh, but Pax Premier, the, the solo mode was designed by Ricky Royal from Box of Delights, uh, another uh, one of my favorites for uh, YouTube coverage of solo games. And yeah, man, it is awesome. I watched Ricky's video to learn how to play. It is a little bit of, at least it was for me, a little bit tough to get into all the mechanics at first. But uh, this is a a uh, tableau builder of sorts but you're also like fighting over control of afghanistan but the thing is uh there are three groups the afghanis uh, the russians and the british fighting over the country and you can switch your allegiance pretty quickly but the the darn ai is allied with everybody <laughs> the jerk oh yeah what makes con? life really Ooh. tough oh my gosh that ai um, so yeah, this is a great one. Really tense, a really dynamic gameplay. Like uh, the scoring rounds can drastically change the entire look of the board. And you just have to like kind of pick up the pieces and, and start building again. The tableau building is exciting. Uh, you can learn a little bit of history because I knew nothing about this conflict. So yeah, definitely a big recommend. Uh, it's fun, competitive too, although uh, Peter and Jerry kind of got angry at it. So I need to try it again. 
But uh, yeah, the solo mode is great. Pax Premier Second Edition. Love it. Talk about it and get in a second. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, all right, so my number eight is uh, Cartographers, a role-player tale. It is another roll and write that, that is... That's the one. That, that's the one that I was like, ooh, this looks really good. I got to try this. It's yeah, fabulous. I really love it. So if you like <laughs> Tetris and variable scoring conditions and roll and writes, then Cartographers is really for you. Basically, you are a cartographer and you are trying to meet certain score conditions, but every card you turn over is a different land type and it's a different shape. And you're trying to fit the land types and shapes in the best arrangement possible on your map. And then there are ambush cards that'll mess you up. In the competitive version, you actually get to draw where the ambush goes on your opponent's map. And you can be really evil. It's very enjoyable. Uh, But there's also rules to make it work in solo. And... It's just a really satisfying game. It's got that kind of feel of like, you know, Tetris of like, oh, where can I fit the shape? But you're also thinking about like, oh, you know, do I want to, you know, go for this scoring condition now? Or because what's interesting is that the scoring conditions are done by season. So you can actually tell not only what your scoring condition for this round will be, but also how that's going to evolve from round to round. So you can worry about right now or you can set up big combos for future scoring rounds. And I found that really pleasing. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched your video for this one. It's on Liz's uh, Beyond Solitaire channel. It's great. And this one looked really cool. Like, again, I'm not a big Roll and Write fan, but uh, may- maybe I'll order this along with After the Virus and just kind of cover all my bases. <laughs> yeah, this is my number two Roll and Write, period. So, oh, well, I'll need to hear what your number one is. Your number one this year or a previous year? Uh, period. <laughs> so okay. I have another Roll and Write in here because this is my big year where I play them all and try to decide which ones I thought were the best. But Cartographer's very good. Like, Chef's Kiss, excellent. Awesome, awesome. So my number seven is the heaviest game on the list for me. Uh, I'm not sure it's up to, like, a Lacerda level, but it definitely took me a while to learn it. And that is Cerebria, the Inside World. So this is a really kind of distinctive theme. You're uh, basically the emotions of bliss and gloom fighting over... I'm not sure if it's somebody's mind, like, inside out, or just, like, this world of emotion i sort of pictured it as like you're fighting over a person to like determine what their personality is but this is a really neat kind of like area control-ish game but uh the things you're controlling the area with are these unique emotion cards that each have their special powers and you can upgrade them and then it has a kind of like pax Premier, and really these are sort of a toss-up either one of them could have been above the other they have this like really cool scoring mechanic where you're trying to uh, kind of move things onto this tower in the center. And you have these scoring cards and the opponent's scoring cards. And uh, there's a great interplay in how you sort of figure out how to make your scoring card happen, but foil the AI scoring card at just the right moment when you trigger the scoring round. Uh, it's really engaging. It does take a little bit to learn. It, I definitely had to watch some videos to get like the full mechanics down. But the, uh, the components are beautiful. They are for Pax Premier as well. Uh, the theme is really engaging. Uh, it's, it's fun, uh, competitive too, but solo for me is probably the best place for it. The AI is really simple and quick to resolve, but does some pretty cool things and can really like mess you up. So uh, yeah, Cerebria, the inside world, a big recommend for me. My number seven solo game of 2019. I've really been wanting to try that one. I'm going to like make a note. Uh, so my number seven is another Hollandspiel game. It is Wars of Marcus Aurelius. Ooh, I think you've, you and several people on the Slack have talked about this, I know. And they've, they've definitely, it, it's similar to something else, right? Like it's similar to Dawn of Zeds, I want to say. Is that right? Um, yeah, 
it's got maybe a little bit of States of Siege feel to it. But I really like Wars of Marcus Aurelius. Basically, you are Marcus Aurelius and you're dealing with the Marcomannic Wars, which were like the big military campaigns of his life and career. Um, and your goal is to try to get all three of these different tribes subdued at the same time. But like even when you beat one, there's a possibility that they'll rebel again. And there's so much managing to do. And then on top of that, there are treasury issues to deal with, issues of whether people respect you at home, wars abroad. There's so much to like cope with and balance in the game. And it's one of those fun. I love games where you can use a card for its action or you can burn it to take a different action. Does that make sense? Yes. So you're constantly making those choices in this game. And it is so good. Also, if you're into the history, like the little historical throwaways are hilarious. Like there's one card that just says, oh, Faustina. And you lose reputation at home because at one point, uh, Marcus Aurelius was presumed dead in Germania and his wife immediately started having an affair with someone else. <laughs> and... <laughs> Might have triggered an entire rebellion off of that. So, <laughs> so you know, there's all like these fun little references. Like if you look up the names in the situations, they're all real people who had sort of interesting lives and careers. Well, I guess if Marcus Aurelius was campaigning all the time, he wouldn't really have time to uh, keep his uh, spouse, you know, satisfied and happy at home. <laughs> I mean, I guess in fairness, she thought he was dead, but. You know. Well, it doesn't sound like the the his uh, grave was very cold. His theoretical grave before oh, she, no. uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely not. She was like, "Well, on to the next one." <laughs> oh my gosh! So that's uh, what's the full name again? Wars of Marcus Aurelius. Ah, uh, you know, let me give me a second. I'm gonna like write these down. <laughs> I also so have a tutorial one... for this one. It's designed by Robert Dulesky, and uh, he's got another one in the same system that's going to be coming out soon called Stilico, and it's about the later Roman Empire, which excites me because I love Roman themes, but I especially have a soft spot in my heart for late Empire themes because it's an underloved thing in modern modern examinations of Roman history. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i heard so many people, and I mean, of course, your opinion matters the most, but Obviously. <laughs> I've heard so many people uh, <laughs> bragging about that game, so definitely interested. All right. Uh, my number six, we're getting uh, back into kind of more thematic territory here, uh, sort of my bread and butter. This one is where Journeys in Middle-Earth fell for me. Ooh. So this, if you haven't seen it, is uh, the latest kind of... Uh, so Fantasy Flight Games started this sort of app integration in kind of crawler adventure games with Descent 2nd Edition's uh, co-op mode. They did it again with Imperial Assault's co-op mode. They did it again with Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, each time getting better. And uh, this is the latest one, Journeys to Middle-Earth. And I think it's uh, definitely the best use of the app. Oh, well, Mansions of Madness might tie for that because of how well they do kind of the mystery elements. But this is a Middle-Earth game. You uh, pick some of the famous characters. You have an all-new adventure. They have this really, really engaging, like, I love this mechanic, where you uh, draw some cards at the beginning of your turn, and you can either prepare them to give you, like, cool abilities and uh, mitigation effects throughout the turn, or if they have successes on them, you can seed them on top of your deck to ensure you get some successes early. And you kind of, uh, not not really deck building, but you upgrade your deck as you go through the campaign. It's about a, I think, 12 or 14 uh, mission campaign fully. And uh, the app has like lots of cool things. You can get titles. You can have unique encounters that you won't see at all the next time you play. Now, I do have some issues with it. I do think the app maybe handles slightly more than I wish it did. And I think there's a little bit of an imbalance in some of the characters. And I think the uh, bow and range combat is a little bit too powerful. 
But besides that, I find it a very uh, enthralling campaign experience. I mean, I'm an easy sell. I adore, adore Lord of the Rings stuff. And even though this does not feel like the most Lord of the Rings of uh, these games that are out, it's still uh, been a lot of fun for me. So that's my number six, Journeys in Middle-Earth. Ooh, I let's see. You keep mentioning ones that I've like been thinking about trying, and now I just want to try them even more. Um, I really just need to go back to playing Lord of the Rings, the uh, living card game, though. We can all just play that forever. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the living card game. Um, I just talked about it on the podcast last week. This is a game that I had strong negative feelings for for a long time, and now uh, it's shot up to like one of my top solo games. Um. Thanks to Colin very carefully, like, helping me to find the fun in it. So, it's not new to me this year. It would have been definitely really high on my list. But yeah, Lord of the Rings, the living card game, awesome. So good. All right, so my number six, again, you've already covered it. It is PAX Premier, second edition. I love PAX Premier. What a delightful game. It has got... Absolutely. it's It's like that simple gameplay with lots of complex stuff happening on the board. It is just beautiful to me. Um, It also is another one of those games that inspired me to go pick up a book and read it so uh if you nice. are interested in reading more it's actually in the rule book and cole Worley and i have talked about it some but uh in it's called return of a king by william dalrymple and it's this very interesting coverage of this whole time period and um you know it's just this incredible tale of you know overconfidence and bad planning all in the same imperial package and <laughs> You know, you, it's really fascinating to read about what the British and the Russians are trying to do in there, how the Afghan people felt about it, um, all the internal political strife, you know, what happens with these different families and different leaders. It is just really interesting. And then going back and playing the game again after knowing that information enriches it even more. So I've been really liking that one. Get a lot out of it. That's great. I, I love that you... <laughs> I, I do not read nearly as much as I wish I did these days. But just the way that you're uh, kind of tying your love of history and your love of literature and like historical books and gaming is so impressive. So uh, (laughs) hats off to you. I just like to be entertained. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But my entertainment is watching The Witcher and you're like reading intense. Oh no, I can toss a coin to to my Witcher. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Uh, my number five uh, definitely wins the award on my list for least popular publisher <laughs> and least popular and least well-run Kickstarter. And this is uh, Unbroken. Oh, yeah. What a good game. What a shameful Kickstarter campaign. So from the little bit of interaction I've had with the designer, he seems like a really nice guy and I have no ill feelings toward him. And, you know, I didn't have to deal with it. I uh, got Steve's copy of the game, so I didn't have to, like, wait for anything or have any threatening emails or anybody, like, listening to my phone calls or whatever uh, this guy does. But, <laughs> but, yeah, reading about him, like, uh, I don't know if you should give your money to the company, uh, Golden Bell, but if you could trade yeah. for a copy, you're not really supporting them, right? <laughs> so, Unbroken, though, I mean, if you get to the gameplay, it's great. Uh, it's just this really, really simple. You're, you're an adventurer whose entire party's been killed off, and you're just trying to like get revenge on the big boss and also escape the dungeon. But the gameplay is just basically draw two cards and either have the adventure on one of them. When the adventure, you know, I'm saying adventure, but it's really just like trading resources. Like, hey, two heroism becomes some wood because you chop down a tree. I mean, it's all thematic, but it ends up being resource uh, management. 
Um, so yeah, you're you're either doing that or you're resting and getting your stamina back. And uh, that's basically the entire game. And then you get to like the boss, you get to this little combat phase and uh, you can scout to see who the boss is and you want to build your weapons and build your skill base and like kind of prepare your resources differently based on the boss. It's quick. It's uh, challenging. I've only won a few times. Uh, it's a really nice small package. There's a lot of theme in there if you want to dig into it, like little flavor text you can read. So yeah, if you take away the the unfortunate stuff with uh, Golden Bells and uh, the, the Kickstarter fulfillment, oh, this game is so good. Like I would love if Artem found a better publisher. You know, I don't know how long his uh, contract is and when the rights revert to him. But if he found a better publisher and like came out with a new version or some expansions, I'd be all in because I love, love the gameplay here. Oh yeah, Artem's a great guy. It's a real shame that this happened. He de- he designed a wonderful game, and I'm just you know this might be one of those interesting solo classics to have that never actually got to be a classic because it didn't get into enough hands. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> well, my number five is Pavlov's House. Oh, you've you've talked about this, and I still I love this game. <laughs> every, every, I'm obsessed with Pavlov's House. <laughs> now it is not about someone uh, like conditioning a dog with like a bell or whatever, right? It is not. It is. So it is about the Battle of Stalingrad and you are, so you can play it with, with up to three people really, or you can have like, you know, somebody controlling the, the Russian side and somebody controlling the Germans, but I like it solo. It's great as a solo game really. And, um, you are basically controlling the Russian front. So like the army, and you're also trying to defend this fortified apartment building in the middle of Stalingrad that the Germans are trying to take over. And that is Pavlov's house. So the commander in the house is named Pavlov. And it is a brutal, exciting, tense game where you're just desperately trying to keep this house going and trying so hard to get resources, but something's always going wrong and you have to figure out what to do and you have to figure out what actions to take because you draw these cards and you can only do so many of the things that are on the cards. It's really frustrating, but it's like also really delightful. I love it. It's very, it's like a heart pounder. I really, really enjoy pulling it out when I want to have a big dramatic night. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it on uh, BGG and it looks really cool. Just like this like little board and the, the building. Do, do the the Russian? I mean, sorry, the Germans just like storm in again and again and again. Yeah, they creep towards the house bit by bit. Like these soldiers and these tanks can advance, and they'll attack the walls and lower your defenses, and they can kill guys in the house, and you know, just all this stuff can happen. And if you don't handle your food, even you can accidentally starve everybody in the house and kill yourself that way. <laughs> Wow. So there's a whole lot to, to think about. Um, this is called, it's 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 in what's going to be called for Danvers and Games, the Valiant Defense Series. And there's a, the next one in the series is out. It's called Castle Itter. And that's going to be one that I'm going to be playing the moment I work through the review copies that I currently have. Oh, awesome. What's the uh, theme for that one? Um, it's another weird battle. So ca- the battle at Castle Itter is one of the, it's called the strangest battle of World War II. And it's basically like some... Germans, some French people. I think there's a couple of Americans involved. It's just a, this kind of ragtag international team defending this castle against like the last march of the Germans at the end of World War II. I think even when the war is technically over. And it's another one of those kind of rough defend against impossible odds kind of games. 
All right, uh, so my number four, we're getting into the end of the list. And uh, for Mike, this is getting into like highly thematic and campaign-based games because that's uh, my favorite stuff. Not not quite as much as Berndt, but <laughs> so definitely up there for me. Uh, this one really surprised me. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did, and it just grabbed me, and I played it like so much. I almost went through the entire campaign in a very, very short amount of time. And that is Aftermath, which... Uh, I think just released to uh, general sales like right at the end of the year, but I played my review copy quite a bit earlier. And uh, this is the newest uh, storybook game from Plaid Hat Games. They did uh, Stuff Fables with this and Comanauts, where you're actually like playing in a little booklet and like the maps are right on there. And the theme here is that you are animals when all the humans have just disappeared from the world. You don't really know what happened. And somehow you have started to evolve. You're like uh, bigger, stronger, you're inventing things. And uh, it's a bit like sort of kingdom death-ish in that you have like a colony you're building up and upgrading, but then you're also going out on like Mm. little adventures. But the adventures are very unique. You can choose what order you want to tackle them, like what things you want to focus on. Now, it is fairly linear in the end. Like it won't feel linear in how you get there, but once you've done everything, you'll be like, oh, okay, well, I kind of had to do all this stuff. But if the expansions they're planning come out, that should fix a lot of that stuff. But it is definitely uh, the least luck-dependent of the uh, storybook series, both Comanauts and Stuff Fables. I would f- sometimes find like kind of frustrating impossibilities to do anything on my turn because of the uh, dice I rolled. Here it's a card deck you're drawing from, and uh, they have a lot of ways to mitigate your draw. So you can like use cards of different colors to cover uh, colors you didn't draw. And yeah, so it's like a really fun puzzle of how to use the cards in your hand. Uh, The theme is great. The miniatures are gorgeous. Uh, The storybook stuff I always love. Like, just not having to search for tiles and having these, like, really cool, like, little adventures on these things. And the adventures are really diverse. Like, you might have to, like, get a soda can and carry it back to your colony and, like, crawl into the soda machine and pull the can down after you. (laughs) Or, uh, you know, you might have to, like, ride a little riverboat on, like, water. And there's this giant cat, like, the biggest miniature... (laughs) (laughs) compared to the other ones in the game (laughs) and it can just show up and like murder you but it also goes after your enemies so if you're if you're wise and wily you can like get in between them and let the cat eat all your foes while you run away uh it's really cool uh the only like caveat is i hope they have expansions to increase the uh, content and the replayability but uh take that away you've got a really great campaign you've got like a solid uh 15 to 20 uh, good plays in there for solo or with a group. I played it mostly solo. Yeah, it's uh, my favorite by by far in the storybook series. Really great campaign game. Uh, Aftermath from Plaid Hat Games. Ooh, that sounds really interesting. You know, I'd played Mice and Mystics. I'd not play Self Fables. Is this like a better version of those? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to uh, the Stuff Fables system. Like, Stuff Fables, Comanauts, and uh, Aftermath all have the same kind of heart, whereas Mice and Mystics kind of did a different thing. But this one has the best control out of all of them, uh, the least kind of luck in dice rolling and that kind of stuff. It's also it. the most uh, freeform, whereas Stuff Fables, you just play through the set number of stories, and that was it. I mean, in the end, like I said, in this one, you're kind of playing through several stories, but you choose the order and, like, how you tackle them and make choices and stuff. Comanos, I didn't like it all. And Mice and Mystics, I had major problems with the mechanics. This is uh, the cleanest Jerry Hawthorne design I've played. I've had, like, small to big issues with, I think, almost all the rest of his. But this one, you know, I still have minor complaints in my review, but there are a lot of cool things going on here. All right. My number four was Renegade, designed by our very own Richard Wilkins, known as Ricky Royal. Uh, I thought Renegade was so good. (laughs) 
it, I mean, it's a very puzzly game, but Renegade is a game in which you are hackers who are trying to combat these evil supercomputers. Uh, but there's a very good like deck building and also tactical aspect to the game that I really enjoyed. I just thought it was such a delightful, puzzly game. It was intense in all the right ways. And I am so glad that I finally got around to playing that one this year. It actually was my 100th review. So I was really happy to have Renegade be that milestone for me this year when I hit it. Yeah, so uh, it's funny. This one, (laughs) I almost wanted to cheat and put it on my list. So I played Renegade this past year, 2019, but I only played the tutorial. And for some reason, I just I had other games to cover and I never got back to it. And it was sitting on my shelf and I almost traded it away. But I was like, well, I never really played it. I can't trade it away yet. So I, I played it uh, yesterday. Like, uh, let's see, today is the second day. I played it on New Year's Day. So definitely 2020, not 2019. And I was like, this game is awesome. <laughs> so You can just put it on... You can just put it on for when we do this podcast next yes, year. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, uh, it, we'll see how, how long it lasts. But yeah, I mean, it's just, just to kind of piggyback off you. The thing that, that I was like, oh, this is so cool. Why don't more games do this? Is how fun the deck building is. Because uh, <laughs> real quick, like the basic idea is you pay to deck build and you replace a card. So it's kind of like, uh, I guess, baseball highlights where you always have the same number of cards in your deck. But the yeah. thing is you get that card to your hand and often they're very inexpensive. So, like, I will literally upgrade my hand by buying a card. You know, every other deck builder I can think of, except uh, Battle for Greyport, you, you know, degrade your hand. You have to spend some resources to get a card and not have as good of a turn this turn. But this one, like, your hand gets better as you buy stuff and you get cooler options. And, yeah, it's, it's like such a smooth deck building experience. Like, it doesn't even feel like it hurts you to deck build at all. I really like that. Oh, yeah. It was a really, really nice design. It's a great job, Ricky Roy. You're on here twice. All right, uh, get into the top three. My number three, uh, Fantasy Flight, definitely had a good year for me. And uh, here's their best one for my list, Marvel Champions. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and this one, I, I will say, for a lot of these LCGs, like Arkham Horror, Lord of the Rings, especially Lord of the Rings, I only enjoyed that one once I got a lot of expansions. And Arkham Horror, I, it, like, really came to life for me. I mean, I liked it with the core set, but really came to life with, like, the first deluxe set. But Marvel Champions, I mean, I think this is a really solid, like, core game. Like, you can mix and match the heroes, mix and match the schemes that the villains have, uh, play hard mode on the villains or normal mode. So I think there's a ton of gameplay here, even without any expansions. But I really, really like this one. I adore... I mean, you had kind of said it with uh, one of your games earlier, Liz. I adore when you have, like, cards in hand and you got to make tough choices about how you use them. In this case, it's uh, you pay with, for the cards in your hand with the other cards in your hand. So you have to make, like, really tough mm-hmm. choices about which one. But then my favorite thing, you get a full hand of cards at the end of every turn. So it's not like you're... You know, stuck like in magic with like card death where you only have one card and you can't really do anything. Every turn it's a fun puzzle. Every turn presents uh, cool possibilities. And the heroes are very diverse. Each have their like own fun tricks they can play. The villains are very diverse. You can mix and match things like Spider-Man with with this class attached to him feels very different than Spider-Man with that class attached to him. So yeah, I think this is uh, the best LCG they've done for the core set. It does not replace Arkham for me as the best LCG overall because I love the narrative element in there. And actually, now that I've gotten into Lord of the Rings, I'm not even sure it's better than Lord of the Rings. But it is a great, great game and uh, very accessible. Much easier to get into than those other ones. I think you can buy the core set and be happy for a long time. You don't need to like invest 200 or $300 into this one. So my number three, Marvel Champions. 
That is awesome. I've played that one. I have not played it enough to review it, but it is very promising. I'm very excited about it. Awesome. All right, so my number three is actually my very number one Roland Wright of all time. It's excellent. It is Welcome to. Oh, I, I, I played that. so good. I've played that. I have not played it solo, and I thought it was pretty fun uh, uh, competitive, and I should play it solo, clearly. So there is a solo mode in the box, but what you need to do is spend like $5 to get the Alexis solo mode deck. That thing is awesome because it takes the game up to the next level where, you know, you're playing against these other architects and who are, you know, really difficult in themselves. But what's interesting is like, you know how when you play Welcome to, you play one card for the construction effect, one card for the number on the street, and then you discard the third. Yeah. So Alexis scores off of whatever you throw away. Oh, man. So you have to watch your discard pile to stop Alexis from getting scores that just totally kick your butt. And it is so awesome. And, you know, you can play against different opponents who score differently based on different types of cards. So one of them, if you throw them a pool, it's no big deal. Another one, if you throw them a pool, they're going to get like three points off that right away. And, you know, you have to be careful about your fences because they can build these mega estates if you're keeping all the fences for yourself and just wreck you in terms of your score. It is awesome. I was so impressed that not only did the solo mode kind of keep the feel of the game, but it actually makes you think harder and pushes it up a notch. For me, that was great. Yeah, well, I'm really excited about it. I think I think Jerry still owns the game, so maybe I'll uh, gift him the solo mode deck and then ask if I can borrow it. <laughs> See, that's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> like my grandfather giving model trains to my mom for Christmas as a child. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because Jerry never plays solo, like literally never. So I'd be like, here's something you will never use. Let me borrow your game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number two is a game that I have not reviewed on the channel yet. I will get to it someday. And honestly, I haven't gotten that far into it. Like I'm only, uh, I think, uh, seven plays in. But I just know it's it's going to be great. <laughs> even though it's frustrating, even though it's terrible in some ways, even though it is stupidly expensive, and I still can't believe I spent this much money, uh, that might give you a hint as to what it is, Liz. Uh, you have any guesses? <laughs> is it KDM? It is KDM. <laughs> Which I also made that mistake this year. I haven't played it yet, but I fell into the money trap. <laughs> yes. Now, I, I did get lucky. I found somebody selling it. Like, I was prowling on eBay for a while. I found somebody selling it at a pretty good discount. Uh, so I did not pay $400 for it. And I actually got a few expansions out of the uh, the mix that I have not opened yet. I'm not sure if I'm going to sell them or not. But, yeah, KDM, uh, it is insane. <laughs> like, I, I still don't really know how I feel about it, but... Man, does it grab you. The uh, the civilization phase, the wild, like I said, Aftermath is kind of like KDM. The the civilization building in Aftermath is such a tiny little thing. KDM, you're getting like these innovations. Your characters are getting like maimed and getting like cool, unique skills. And like people show up and threaten you and horrible things happen. Your people fight each other. And uh, then you go to the hunt phase and you get surprised by the thing or you find like special fruit that'll help you and then you fight the monsters and oh man these boss fights these epic wild super random incredibly frustrating ridiculously enthralling boss fights oh my gosh like the one time <laughs> the one time that we knocked down the lion and he was completely vulnerable and I sent my best fighter in for the killing blow we were gonna kill him all his defenses were down we were gonna crush this guy 
And, of course, I draw the one trap card in the deck. The lion was faking oh, no. it. He springs up. He eats my best character's head. My guy is dead in a single roll. I cry tears of rage. But <laughs> I love it. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I want this game to hurt me. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I, I do not recommend it to everybody. I hate building miniatures. I don't know if I'll ever actually build the miniatures. I might just play, like, <laughs> I, I was saying this. I forget if it was on a podcast or something recently. But I was saying that I just, uh, yeah, yeah, it was on our last podcast. Um, I, I just use the lion as everybody. So every monster is a lion because I don't want to build the other monsters. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, if you can get past that, uh, man, this game is a, it's an experience. I don't recommend it to every, for everyone, but, uh, it is, it is something kingdom of death monster. My number two, uh, solo game of 2019. I'm really looking forward to that one. Actually, I might have to wait till summer when I have a whole bunch of just uninterrupted time. Yeah, that's probably true for me too. If I really, really want to dig into it deeply. So my number two is way less exciting. So interestingly, uh, my number two is actually the first game I ever reviewed years ago, but I re-reviewed it this year with the expansion because the last installment in this game went on Kickstarter this year, and it is Hostage Negotiator. Oh, shoot. Which (laughs) you might see the light on someday now that you have seen the glory that is Final Girl. Um (laughs) Well, well, don't forget, uh, Liz knows my dirty secret. Don't tell AJ. <laughs> that My uh, lips are sealed. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if you listen to the podcast. But yeah, so I uh, in, in playing Final Girl, and Liz was like, yeah, so this is how the game plays, just like Hostage Negotiator. I'm like, that's not how Hostage Negotiator works. And she's like, uh, Mike, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of lukewarm on Hostage Negotiator when I played it years ago, and uh the key mechanic, one of the key mechanics, is that the cards you play uh, go out of, like, availability for an entire extra round before you can buy them again, including your basic cards. I was getting all those things back every turn, and I was like, this game's dumb. I have so many options. They can't even try to beat me. Yes, I was cheating my butt off <laughs> every time I played. I was like, this game's boring. So, yeah. Uh, AJ, I apologize for judging, misjudging you. Uh, I definitely need to get this back to the table. But I'm interrupting you. Liz, tell us about why you love Hostage Negotiator. I love Hostage Negotiator because it is one of those games that seems like it's all luck, but there's actually a whole lot of thought and planning that has to go into which cards you're choosing and how you're going to mitigate the die rolls that you get. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting decision space in there. The other thing I love about Hostage Negotiator is that by this point, there have been enough expansion packs that it's a mature game fully at this point. So there's so many different abductors that you can choose from to play. And a lot of them play very, very differently. So there's a lot more excitement to the game now than there was back in that very first box. So it's now a game that offers lots of decision space for you as the negotiator. And there are also a whole lot of interesting abductors that you can pitch yourself against who force you to play a different game. Yeah, Liz, you're just costing me money here. Like literally I have a list of like, I'm just going to go like do a cool stuff games, <laughs> like order or something and like spend like $150. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Everyone does. All right, uh, number one for me, this is, uh, for anyone who listens to the podcast, this is boring. I keep on saying this. <laughs> but uh, it is Tainted Grail from Awakened Realms, uh, the first Awakened Realms game that I have fully, fully adored. Um, it is an Arthurian, like, kind of other worlds uh, adventure game, sort of seventh continent-ish, but at least for me, without a lot of the frustration and rinse and repeat like nature of seventh continent. And uh, biggest thing about it that surprised the heck out of me, but one of my top things about the game is the combat, for some reason, is, like, stupidly fun and interesting and, like, a really, really cool puzzle. 
So I thought I would just love the game based on like the adventuring and uh, the choose your own adventure style, which both are like no, A plus number one mechanics and like genres for me. But then add on that the card combat is super engaging and fun and like leveling up your character into combos is really, really cool. And yeah, this is a awesome, awesome game for me. Uh, I am all in for trying to track down like every expansion I can for because I only got the core box, sadly. But uh, Tainted Grail, uh, can't wait to see other cool things from Awakened Realms because with this one, they really blew me away. Uh, that was my number one solo game of 2019 and my number one co-op game of 2019 and, you know, whatever else you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I've only gotten to play it once, but my copy is coming. I actually did the, I backed the all the gameplay tier. Nice. So I'm just waiting for that well, next yeah. wave you, of shipping. You, you, and you are, you are better off than I am. I'm just going to glory in it. Once it arrives. <laughs> awesome. So I have to wait, but I'll get all of it. Um, so my number one game of the year. So it started out as a spite thing. If you listen to me talking about the Every Night is Game Night podcast, like that top, the People's Choice Top 100. Uh, I was so mad that this one fell so far because I loved it. But I Oh, oh wait, wait. I, I know it. I know it. I remember. Uh, it I is know. Th- Thunderbolt Apache Leader. You better believe it. The best game of 2012 <laughs> is also the best game of 2019, man. That game is so freaking good. So I went in my closet and I dug out my copy of Thunderbolt Apache Leader and I played it so much that I like forgot that I had other games. It's so bomb. Like, it is so good. Like you have to really enjoy the sort of campaign element of it, but I love just sitting there like choosing my little aircraft, and, like choosing my pilots and figuring out how to like, level them up and deciding which battalion I want to go after and like what weapons am I going to put on my planes and my helicopters and I call everything an airplane because I have no freaking clue about like American aircraft in the military it's not i have no clue but i know how to like put together a good squad and attack things and you know that that when you're actually flying a mission it's so fast and furious and fun and if you miss you're like no this is terrible i have to fly all the way back around but if you have like a really good hit it's so exciting and you end up really thrilled with what happened and you know you can lose pilots or they get stressed out and you have to like make them rest so that they don't freak out and become unfit to fly you know you can come home with all your planes have like bullet holes in them and stuff it's great i absolutely love this game i really do now liz just to kind of close us out uh because we have finished our top 20 uh, there's one game that i couldn't include because the uh solo mode doesn't uh come out officially until i think uh like in the next month or so it's shipping from kickstarter uh, i'm waiting yeah, so, so did you have a game that you, like, played a Kickstarter version of or a demo, something that you think you would love, like, that could make your top 20 but just didn't qualify for this year? Yeah, I learned Warp's Edge today. Oh, well, what did you think of it? I thought it was delightful. It Isn't was it really fun? Nice back build. It was really fun. Yes. And I was really excited while I was playing it. It was, like, everything that I wanted something like Deep Space D6 to be. That, that is exactly what I felt. Like, Deep Space D6, all the goofy fun of that, but, like, with some more gameplay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yes. I'm, re- I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I, I for, for full disclosure, I sent my review copy on to Liz. She was, like, the next one in the line. But, yeah, I think uh, whenever this episode airs, the Kickstarter should still be going on. And by then, I'm guessing both Liz and I will have some content on it. So, yeah, Warp's Edge, uh, Renegade, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of stuff coming. I'm just looking through my, like, Kickstarters. It'll shift next year. And, you know, I've got Everdell coming, so I'll finally get to experience that one. Yes. Um, I I actually liked Obsession so much with the first edition that I backed the reprint. I've heard I've heard good things. I've not gotten a chance to play that yet. Love it. Think, like, Downton Abbey, the board game. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's what I've heard. It's so good. 
Uh, Smartphone Inc. is going to be in wider distribution. Oh, cool. I know uh, Mike Delisio has uh, talked about that very highly. He has. So, like, Isle of Cats is coming up next year, and I'm actually really curious about what Frank West has come up with. There's a lot of stuff to look forward to. Yeah, for me, uh, Alter Quest is a big one. Uh, o- oh, yeah. Oath Sworn, if it delivers, I don't know if they'll make. It seems pretty ambitious to finish up by uh, the end of next year, or this year, I guess it is now. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. But yeah, my, my my big one that I was alluding to, it would have been my number one for this year if I could include it by the rules, even better than Tainted Grail for Solo. And that is uh, Root with the better bot AI that, not not the AI that came in the first expansion, that is not supposed to be very good, but the uh, fan-made AI that has now become the official AI that is uh, coming in my Kickstarter, hopefully sometime soon. I uh, think Root is awesome. I adore how the AI works. I love, 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 love trying out the different uh, races and factions and just like all their goofy, unique, asymmetric stuff. Such a good game. I just want to play it more. I've, I've been waiting because I'm like, oh, I almost have the real thing soon. Why should I play with my cruddy print and play version? But man, I can't wait. Uh, did, did you uh, back excited. that one, Liz? I did. Yeah, I'm waiting. Yeah. Uh, the other one I backed, honestly, because you know already, because of what my number two was this year, Hostage Negotiator Career is going to come out sometime in 2020, and I'm ready. Wait, so what? what is, again, like I, I fell out of the Hostage Negotiator's fold because I'm an idiot. So what is what does <laughs> Career add to the system? So Career is basically an expansion that uses all the stuff that you already have for the game and allows you to have a career where instead of just a one-off against an abductor, you actually have like an ongoing little campaign against multiple abductors and you're like a hostage negotiator who develops over time. Nice. I'm I'm thinking of like uh, all the hostage negotiator movies where like I do that. I, you know, I mess up in that one key uh, case or incident and I get everybody killed and I'm haunted by the failure, but I got to pick myself back up in a, in a similar situation and, and get it right this time. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I feel like there are like three or four movies that have that exact plot. So that's, that's that sounds awesome. Gosh, darn it. Ah, so <laughs> I'm just going down my list. Let's see. So I want to check out uh, Wars of Marcus Aurelius, Thunderball Abachi leader, uh, the solo deck mode for Welcome to, uh, Hostage Negotiator, uh, After the Virus. Oh, I think there was one more. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Liz, I hate you a little bit, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but just think about all the stuff I had to sift through to get those golden Oh, my gosh. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, that was a fun jaunt. Uh, I think this is our last top list for 2019. We will stop and get back to some more normal episodes. But such a joy to have you on, as always, Liz. We'll try to get you on some more this year. Please do. I love chatting with y'all. All right. Uh, so that is it. We will see you at the next stop and have a great 2020 with us. Solo gaming, co-op gaming, whatever you're doing. Make every night, uh, wait, no, no, that's not ours. (laughs) I don't want to steal Jason's thunder here. But you still should. (laughs) Yes. Make every night a game night. (laughs) Whether or not it's a slogan, uh, it's good advice. So yeah, everyone be good. Have a great 2020. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 List.